Well, I'm glad to be back with you after three weeks break. Um, so thank you to the, the church also, the congregation, for giving us the time off. My family and I had a, had a good summer break. And now back to work. So we're continuing our series in Luke. And we come to chapter 1 verse 39 this morning. Luke 1 verse 39, and uh, we'll go to verse 56 today. And the theme for this morning's message is a God-centered Christmas. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, holy and righteous Father, God of glory, God of grace, we draw near to the throne of grace. And today we ask for special mercy as a servant looks to the hand of his master and a maidservant to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes are on you until you have mercy on us. We pray that you would visit us as you gave us rain yesterday, so you would visit us with spiritual rain, that the word will go forth like snow and like rain. And bring forth a harvest, bread to the eater and seed to the sower. Let your word be so, the word that goes forth from your mouth, let it not return to you empty. We pray that it will bear much fruit, and it will bear good fruit, to the glory of God the Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I remember, must have been in the 1990s, uh, some guy having an interview with children, it was on television. And anyway, he would go to the beach, he would go to someone's house, he would go to the street, to the shopping center, uh, to the park, and they would ask kids this question, what is Christmas about? And you know, quite a number of kids understood Christmas was really about Jesus. And yet, we do not celebrate Christmas this way. Many people don't celebrate Actually, most people, and even some Christians, uh, although they know it's really about Jesus, you don't see it in the way they celebrate Christmas. So to many Christians, in the way they celebrate it, Christmas is about Santa Claus, or about lots and lots of gifts, and about lights, and about eating so much that you feel sick. And about just visiting with friends and family. Now, I, I also enjoy the lights and I enjoy visiting with friends and family. And I enjoy good food. But the problem is that Christians sometimes say Christmas is about Jesus. But we don't celebrate it like that. So how should we celebrate Christmas if we want to be God-centered? So... Number one, we're going to look at Elizabeth's joy, and then secondly, we'll look at, at Mary's joy. So Elizabeth's joy, verse 39 to 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women! Blessed is the fruit of your womb! 
Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So let us say the University of Pretoria tucks. They choose Ruan to be the first team captain for the rugby team, first team. And he's really happy, he's really chuffed, he's pleased and immediately tells his family about this. But a week later, he hears that one of his best friends had been selected for the Springboks. And now the temptation comes. Yes, he's first team for the university, but his friend's going to play for the, for the Springboks. And so the temptation comes to be jealous. Elizabeth was not like that. So Elizabeth is barren. She's an old woman. She can't have children. And then God does this miracle and her and her husband are able to have a child. And God gives her baby John, John the Baptist. But then the Holy Spirit makes plain to her and clear to her, reveals to her that Mary, a family member of hers, Mary is pregnant with a Messiah, with the Christ. And yet she's not jealous. She's, she's overjoyed. And this is what happened. So, so remember in the, the previous section, this is a month ago now that I preached this. In the previous passage, we saw that the angel came and the angel announced Mary you're going to have a baby. Uh, you'll be pregnant with a Messiah. And the angel also told her that Elizabeth and John are going to have a uh, Well, at least Elizabeth and Zechariah are going to have a baby. Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. So the moment she hears this, she leaves her town called Nazareth. That's in the north of Israel. And now she goes to the, to the south. Um, in the mountain area or the hill country of Judah. Judah is in the south of Israel. She travels there, and now she's going to visit her family member, Elizabeth. And that's what verse 39 tells us. That's where she's going. And so as the moment she walks into Zechariah and Elizabeth's house and she greets Elizabeth, the baby, this is baby John, jumps. He leaps in the womb of Elizabeth. And this is no ordinary kick no ordinary baby turning in the womb, as we'll see later on. We already know that John the Baptist would be filled with a spirit from his mother's womb. Verse 15, we saw that. And then Elizabeth, she's filled with a spirit. Verse 41 at the end. The father, Zechariah, he's filled with a spirit. In verse 67, so this whole family is filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know, if every family were like that, if every family were filled with the Holy Spirit, then Christmas and every other day of the year would be God-centered. That's what we see in Ephesians 5. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to explain also, a few verses on what that will look like in a family if the family is filled with the Spirit. Husbands, wives, parents, children. So if, if children are filled with the Spirit, then they will be thankful for what they have during this Christmas time. And they won't fight over presents and they won't be discontent and they won't be jealous because I didn't get this and you got that. And if young people and parents are filled with the Spirit in this Christmas season, 
will not become a time for them where they see, oh, another opportunity to get drunk. If parents are filled with the Spirit, they won't waste loads and loads and loads of money on food and gifts. I'm not saying there won't be any food and any gifts, but they won't spend massive amounts on all of this, but rather they would spend time with their families. And they will teach their children what Christmas really means. What's it really about? If husbands are filled with the Spirit, then they won't expect of their wives to stand behind that oven and that stove all day and just keep on bringing the food. And they just sitting relaxing outside and the wives must bring the food and be waiters or waitresses. They won't expect of their wives or leave their wives behind the sink to do the dishes alone. If wives are filled with the Spirit, then they won't lie awake <laughs> on the 23rd and the 24th of December, lying awake and the thoughts turning anxiously, wondering, is everything perfect for Christmas Day? And they won't be angry and get upset because the family prefers grandfather's, grandpa's menu to her menu. Grandpa wants braai and she wants pork. Maybe just, or maybe roast beef or something. And everyone, oh no, we want a braai. And now she's really upset. No, no, if she's filled with the Spirit, that won't happen. If she's filled with the Spirit and the Spirit controls her desires and her thoughts, then she will not feel depressed if people do not compliment her cooking or compliment all the decorations. You see, Christmas to her will be about Jesus, not about herself. And because she wants to serve other people, she won't complain and murmur and grumble all day because I just wish these guests will go home now. No, she'll show hospitality without grumbling. She'll be like Elizabeth. Elizabeth, who was overjoyed and happy. Mary has come to visit me. We see Elizabeth's gladness also. Even though Mary stayed for three months, verse 56, she remained with her about three months and returned home. And because she's filled with the Spirit, Elizabeth, <clears throat> she's, she's also filled with joy. Verse 40 and 41. So we see Mary entering the house, verse 40, and then verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry. So there you see the joy, because the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And she cries out with this loud voice, loud cry, You are the happiest among women in history. You are the most blessed among all women. Verse 42, Blessed are you among women. Now Mary, Mary understood this. Mary realized that she truly is blessed. Verse 48, second part, From now on all generations will call me blessed. She, she knew verses like Genesis 3, verse 15. Undoubtedly, she knew that. The story in the beginning of the Bible where Satan tempts Adam and Eve and then the prophecy comes. God says, the woman's seed, the woman's offspring will crush the serpent's head. And so she understood that the Messiah will be born of a woman. She undoubtedly knew a verse like Isaiah 7, verse 14. The virgin shall conceive. And she will become pregnant, and she will bear a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. And obviously, we know that means God is with us, or God with us. 
So she knew a virgin, the Messiah will be born of a virgin. But do you think that Mary ever thought, when she, when she heard those passages or thought of those passages, that she ever think, I am that woman from whom the Messiah will come. I am that virgin who will bear the Christ. And yet, now she knew, now she knew. It's, it's her, the angel told her, that's you. Now she's not blessed because she's Mary. Elizabeth says in verse 42, blessed are you among women. She's not blessed because she's Mary. She's blessed because of the child in her womb. The child in her womb is the eternal and blessed Messiah. The Christ, verse 42. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. So the child in her womb is truly and fully man. But that baby in the womb is also truly and fully God. The baby in Mary's womb is the creator of heaven and earth. The baby in Mary's womb created Mary. He's the God of Israel. As Mark Lowry says, Mary, did you know that the baby, that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm the storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? That sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. And Elizabeth realized, Mary's baby is her Lord. Verse 43. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Verse 45. We read of the word spoken by the Lord. That very same Lord in Mary's womb is the one who sent the angel. To say, go and tell Mary. Wow. Verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. That same Lord that is in her womb. She praises this Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Just like, like Thomas realized when he fell on his knees before Jesus. Or he cried out, my Lord and my God. The Lord who is born in Bethlehem. Christ the Lord. Luke 2 verse 11. This is the same Lord. And so Mary cannot believe. Or Elizabeth cannot believe. Mary visits me. Why does Mary visit me? Now it's not that Elizabeth is worshipping Mary. Or giving her undue honor like the Roman Catholics do. No, the truth is. She's really honoring the baby in Mary's womb. She's honoring this baby as her Lord and God. 
That's also why John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb, verse 41. He leaps like a calf running from a stall, as Malachi 4 verse 2 says. He's really, he rejoices in the Messiah. He rejoices over the Christ because he hears his Lord's mother's voice. He hears Mary's voice. This is the Messiah's mother. And that's what makes him happy because there's a connection with the Messiah. Verse 44, the baby leaped in her womb. Do you feel like that when you think of Jesus? And is it visible in the way you celebrate Christmas, to say, I'm so happy about Jesus. Well, well, if it's not really visible in the way you celebrate Christmas, I want to give you a few tips. I want to say to you, first of all, do not limit your, your thanksgiving and your praises and your singing to Christmas Day when you come to a worship service. Rather, gather your family, get your family together through the whole month of December and gather to sing Christmas songs and gather to read the prophecies, the Old Testament prophecies that pointed forward to say one day the Christ will be born. Read, read the stories about the birth of Jesus in Matthew and in John and in Luke. Now, you can find this on the internet, maybe like a, call it an Advent calendar, Advent Bible reading calendar. You can Google something like that, and you'll find it, and it'll say, all right, so uh, 5 December, read Isaiah 40, verse 1 to 5, and it's got all these prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, and so it'll take you right through December to give you a Bible reading plan. Short verses you can read with your family. You can also find Christmas hymns on the internet. And then, then also just pray with your family. Give each one a turn to pray, a chance to pray, and pray and thank the Lord for Jesus, the Son of God. And don't stop when, when Christmas Day is over. Keep on going, keep on going, keep on reading, gathering with your family, reading the Scriptures, praying together, singing hymns. And for the rest of your life, do this. And if you continue to uh, if you continue doing this and you do it by faith and you do it faithfully and you do it with steadfastness and perseverance and you do it with a sincere heart, then you will see God's blessing in your life. You will see God's blessing in your family. You will enjoy that blessing just as Mary enjoyed the blessing of God because she believed His promises. She believed His word. Verse 45. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed are those who believe. And don't doubt like Elizabeth's husband doubted. Number two. So that was Elizabeth's joy. Secondly, Mary's joy. Verse 46 to 56. And Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke. To our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Listen to what, what Charles Spurgeon, that great English preacher in the 1800s, what he said of John Bunyan, who lived in the 1600s. John Bunyan wrote that famous book, The Pilgrim's Progress. Now this is what Spurgeon said of Bunyan. Read anything of his. And you will see that it's almost like reading the Bible itself. He had read it till his very soul was saturated with Scripture. He cannot give us his book, The Pilgrim's Progress, without continually making us feel and say, This man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere. His blood is bubbling. The very essence flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the Word of God. Now that, that is exactly what Mary's song was like. Mary's song that I just read to you is filled with Scripture. You just go and look at these references you will find in the Old Testament cross-references. She quotes from 1 Samuel 2 and the Psalms and the prophets and the rest of the Old Testament. So for Mary, it's all about God. It's all about God's honor and God's glory. And not about how special she is. She wants to... Magnify God. Magnify His name. And she wants, to do, she wants to do it like a telescope and not like a microscope. Verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. Psalm 34 verse 4. Verse 4 magnify the Lord with me. So what, what do I mean by like a telescope and not a microscope? John Piper explains. He says uh, a microscope makes things that are really, really, really small Invisible to the eye, it makes it look massive. So you can have a dust mite, he says, and it looks like a monster if you look through a, a microscope. Now, if you, if you try to magnify God like that, that's evil. Because you're saying, God's really small, I have to make him great. No, it's the other way around. It's like a telescope. So you look into the night sky and you see this little dot. And then the Hubble telescope zooms in, in space, and it zooms to this dot, and you see it's... A hundred million galaxies with billions of stars in each one of them. That's how we magnify God. God is really, really great, but we don't understand it. And then we zoom in and we think greater thoughts. And then we get an idea. We can't even fathom and grasp it really. But we get an idea of, wow, God is and this is what Mary does, magnifies the Lord to show you, we don't know how great he really is. Let's just sing this song and take Bible verses from the Old Testament and have an idea of how great he really is. And, and, and to Mary, when she sings her song, it's not really about just saying the right words and singing the right words. She wants to praise God, not with her lips only, but from the depth of her being, from the depth of her soul and her spirit, verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. 47, my spirit rejoices in my God my Savior. And so in the same way, we too, 
We should not merely praise God with our lips, but our minds are wandering and we're thinking of the chicken in the oven and whatever else. And, and we know these Christmas songs so well, so we can just sing the words and we're not even thinking about them. No, we should think of what we are singing. Feel the truth of what you are singing. Feel it in your heart. Worship God in spirit and truth. And if you don't do this, well, then there's no difference between in the way you celebrate Christmas and the way unbelievers celebrate Christmas, even though you're singing the right words. And to tell you the truth, actually it doesn't even help you singing the right words from your heart if you do not honor Jesus on the rest of Christmas Day. So only you come to the worship service, you sing the songs, you mean it from the heart, and the rest of your celebration, you do not honor Christ, you do not think of Christ, you do not glorify Christ, and the rest of your life and the rest of the year, you do not honor Christ. These people, Jesus said, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And then you like those people. Only once a year they tip their hat to Jesus, kind of saying, Jesus, I respect you. And they do it by coming to church on one day in the year. You're just like those people there. They come only on Christmas. So in other words, it's like you want to keep Jesus in the manger. And, and Jesus' life and his death on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension to heaven and his his rule in heaven as king and his second coming, it makes no difference whatsoever in your life. And you cannot then say like Mary, he's my savior, verse 47. God, my savior. Verse, chapter 2, verse 11. Christ, the Lord, uh, is born a savior. He's the savior of the world, John 4, verse 42. Call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He's leader and savior, our God and savior, Titus 2 verse 13. Jesus, who is our God and savior, 2 Peter 1 verse 1. But you cannot say that, because you are still bound, you are fast bound in the chains of your own sin. So why not ask the Lord today, today, this day, Ask him, please, do not only be the savior of the world, be my savior, verse 47. My personal savior. Who, who, who else is going to break the chains of sin that have held you for so long? Mary can't break those chains. Mary is not a sinless co-redemptrix or co-savior, like the Catholics believe. They call her co-redemptrix. She's not a fellow saviour. Mary herself needs a saviour. Verse 47. My spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. Mary said, I'm a sinner, I need a saviour. So Mary can't save you from your sin. You can't save yourself. You've tried, haven't you? You've tried to change your life. But you've failed. The only one that can really save you from your sin that can forgive your sin is Jesus. He is the Savior. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. There is no other name given under heaven and among men through whom we must be saved. Only Jesus. So if you humble yourself before Him, 
he will answer your prayer. And he won't push you away. He won't tell you to get away, to move along. He hasn't got time. No, he will lift up your head if you humble yourself before him. He will exalt you. He will lift you up. Verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. You see that in verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate. Those who humble themselves. He will exalt them. He will lift them up. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then you'll say like Mary, I'm blessed. I am blessed by the Almighty, by the mighty God who has done great things for me. Verse 48, second part. From now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And then it ends, holy is his name. You will then realize there is no one like the Lord. That is really what holy means. The word holy means that he is morally perfect. He is unique. He is one of a kind. No one is like him. And you will understand something of what A.W. Tozer meant when he said, we know nothing like God's holiness. The natural man, the unbeliever, is blind to God's holiness. He may fear God's power or admire God's wisdom, but his holiness... He cannot even imagine. And, and you will also realize that on Christmas Day. So that when Christmas comes. You will be in awe. You will adore this holy child. Instead of just being jolly. Jolly because it's Christmas. You will thank God for his mercy. You will worship God with the deepest reverence and the deepest fear. Fear God. You will fear Him because He has not yet punished you in hell. And, and rather, He has sent His Son, the Savior. He has sent the Lord Jesus Christ to this world to save you and me. Verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear Him. And, and you'll share this with your children. You'll share it with your children. This good news and with your grandchildren. You will tell them, this is for you. It is for you. It is for everyone who fears the Lord. From generation to generation, verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Just like Psalm 103 verse 17 tells us. And then... A God-centered view of Christmas will also help you to not be afraid of the EFF. <laughs> when they rise up and burn shops and do all cry hatred and hate speech, and you will not be afraid of the LGBTQ movement, the lesbian and gay movement. They're so aggressive. You won't be afraid of the United Nations and the World Health Organization. And radical Muslims and think uh, they, they're going to crash into us or chop off our heads or, or the World Health Organization. They got the vaccine and they're going to put the mark of the beast in us. And you won't be afraid of all these conspiracies. Why not? How does a God-centered Christmas help all of that? Well, you'll understand. 
that the baby in the manger is the mighty arm of God. The arm of God that scatters the enemy. Verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. Or hearts. So the Messiah, Jesus, is the arm of God who crushes the enemy. Isaiah 51 verse 9 and 53 verse 1 teaches that. How does God scatter the enemy? How does God do this to conquer the enemy? Well, God humbles himself. And he becomes a man. And his father, at least concerning the human nature of Christ, the, the father of Jesus Christ, exalts his son to the highest place. Why? Because he humbled himself to the lowest place. Verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate. Jesus has a name that is above every name. God has exalted him because he has humbled himself in this way. By becoming man to save us from our sins. And so because Jesus is king. Because Jesus is exalted above all. He will scatter the proud. He will confuse their thoughts. He will confuse their, their ideas. The, the plans they have in their hearts. Verse 51. Second part, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. So, so those who, is ex, who have exalted themselves because they've exalted themselves so high, the higher you exalt yourself, the higher you think of yourself, the prouder you become, the further you will fall. God will bring you down to earth very fast and very hard. He scatters their thinking so they become confused like Nebuchadnezzar the king in Daniel 4 when he exalted himself and said, Oh, I've done all these wonderful things. Look at what my hands have done. I've built this kingdom. And God gave him the mind of an animal and he lived in the field for seven periods of time. And then God will also fill the hungry with good things. He will satisfy them. Verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things. Now, that has nothing to do with social justice or with socialism or communism or Marxism or with some kind of theology where you say Jesus has come to make the rich poor and the poor rich. Uh, that's not what that verse means. It ends with he has sent the rich away empty. Remember, Humanity's problem is not primarily financial. Your number one problem is not money. And so the solution is not to give people money. Our number one problem as human beings is sin. Sin against God. So the solution then is Jesus. Jesus in the manger. Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the throne. So practically that means that the church's main task is not to give food to the hungry and gifts to the poor. Even during Christmas. That's not our main task. Our main task is to give people spiritual food to satisfy their spiritual hunger. To give them the gospel. Verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things. Matthew 5 verse 6. That's a spiritual hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Psalm 107, 
In verse 9, the psalmist says, For God satisfies the longing soul, the hungry soul he fills with good things. So once you've done that and you've given people the spiritual bread, you've brought them the gospel and Jesus satisfies their spiritual hunger, then you can give them food for the body and gifts for the enjoyment of the Christmas season. Because if you do it the other way around, then, then Christmas becomes man-centered instead of God-centered. And how then are you different from liberal churches? How then are you different from the, the Muslims, the gift of the givers? They also give stuff, but it's all man-centered. It's not God-centered. And you know, most people, besides most people, celebrate Christmas that way, a man-centered Christmas. So they, they see, how much can I acquire? How much can I get for myself this Christmas? And they don't think that I'm going to lose all of this, all these gifts I'm buying. I'm going to lose it. Maybe, maybe within a year's time, but definitely when you die, you're going to lose it all. Verse 53 at the end, he has sent the rich away empty. What does it help you gain the whole world, but you forfeit your soul? So focus then this Christmas, and not only for Christmas, but the rest of the year, and the rest of your life. Focus not on what you can get for yourself, but what you can give. Why not, why not make, it a point, make a point of it this Christmas? Why not give to a missionary? Why not this Christmas give to a poor Christian, a poor believer? And why not continue doing so through the, throughout the rest of the year and the rest of your life? And by doing so, you are gathering up for yourself treasures in heaven, treasures that you can never lose. That, that's true riches. And then why not this Christmas? Go and tell the petrol attendant, the car guard, that unbelieving family member, unbelieving colleague. Tell them about God's love for sinners. Tell them that God became man, that he died on the cross for our sin, and then explain to them what that means. And tell them God is still merciful. And that the promise God made to Abraham, that he said, I will save Abraham's offspring, that that promise God made to Abraham, it's not only meant for Jews. Abraham's offspring is everyone who believes in Jesus. Verse 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. God is still merciful. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Galatians 3 verse 7 to 9 says, We are the offspring of Abraham. We believe. Verse 29. We believe. Really, Christ is the offspring of Abraham. Galatians 3.16. And we are united to Christ. If we believe in Christ, we too are his offspring. And so the promise of mercy and salvation is for us. Maybe you want to write that on a card, a Christmas card. Some wonderful gospel message. And maybe give a gift with the card and say, I just thought of you. Or maybe you can pray for these unbelievers and say, Lord, will you work in their hearts? Will you but somehow... Give that, that they will start asking questions and I will be ready with an answer. I want to close with this. It reminds me of, of um, something I read in a book some years ago about a Chinese guy who visited John Piper's house. And he was there for Christmas. And now, he's a guy from China. He was sent to the USA by his parents to study and he's very happy. 
that he can study in the United States and he's never seen the way these people have got this feast called Christmas and a celebration and he sees Santa Claus everywhere. But then he comes to John Piper's house and he doesn't see Santa Claus. He sees a manger scene with Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus in the manger and donkeys and sheep and uh, oxen. And so he asks one of Piper's sons, well, what is this? And John Piper's son starts explaining to him the story of Jesus and the birth of Jesus. And then Piper, John Piper and his wife walk into the, the living room and he starts asking more questions, this Chinaman. And they start explaining about uh, God created the world and there was Adam and Eve and they lived in the Garden of Eden and then they were tempted by Satan through a serpent and they disobeyed and death came into the world and sin and then he goes, they go through the whole story of, of Noah and the flood and Abraham and Israel and Israel coming out of Egypt and Moses, you know, and the rest of the Old Testament history. And eventually they come to the story of Jesus and they explain how Jesus is the Savior. How Jesus is the one who saves us from our sin and how he comes to die on a cross for sinners. He's buried, he comes back from the dead on the third day. What a wonderful opportunity. And I'm sure it make that made that Chinaman think. And may, may the God-centered way in which we celebrate Christmas, may it cause unbelievers to start wondering, who is this baby in the manger really? And that they might understand what his birth means to the world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise and worship you this morning for your word. And we pray that it might be a blessing as Mary received a blessing and was a blessed woman. May we too be blessed, not only during Christmas, but for some maybe, that Christmas would be the beginning of a new life. Because they understand why God became man to save us from our sins. Amen.